Our lesson this morning is our fourth lesson from the book of Philippians. We're looking at this morning Philippians chapter 4, looking at some things we can learn from the Apostle Paul concerning uh, being steadfast for the Lord. And we talk about being steadfast for the Lord, so sometimes we, we think about uh, various different ideas, but I think we think about maybe being steadfast and the idea of just being faithful only. That's the only thing we think about, just being faithful to God the rest of our life. But really there's other things which we can be steadfast in, things which we should always strive to be doing. And in Philippians chapter 4, we find some examples of that given to us by the Apostle Paul. And the word steadfast, it literally means to be unwavering and persistent. When we think about the Christian life, are there areas in which we should be unwavering, areas in which we simply do not change, that we always do these things because they're good and pleasant before God, they are acceptable to God? And are there areas in which we should be persistent, things which we do constantly because they are part of being faithful to God? Well, in Philippians chapter 4, we find some areas in which we are to be steadfast. We begin first by looking at, uh, again, we're not going to be looking at the entire chapter of Philippians chapter 4, but we are going to notice a few things here. First, we notice we are to be steadfast in being grateful to, or for, rather, fellow laborers, those who are laboring with us in the gospel, those who are working with us and working with the church. We should be grateful for them. And in Philippians chapter 4, looking at verses 2 and 3, the Apostle Paul mentions several people here. He tells them in verse 2 to be of the same mind, but then we also find in verse 3, he says, I urge you also, which includes those mentioned there in verse 2, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with Clement also. So he mentions those three women in this case there in verse 2, or uh, he mentions those women there in verse 2, and he also mentions Clement, and he says there in verse 3, who labored with me in the gospel. He says in verse 3, he says, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me. To help them means basically I did there is to help them with anything they need. Because, he says in verse 3, they have labored or they have worked aside with him doing things for the gospel, doing things for the cause of Christ. And he says also in verse 3, he says, And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life, being a reference there to those individuals who are going to have heaven as their home because they are faithful to God and because they are also, he says in verse 3, part of this is because they're working with him. They are those who are laboring to, to try to spread the gospel message. And we look there in verses 2 and 3, he is very grateful for those individuals. You know, if you're mentioned by name, it's always very encouraging. You know, sometimes we say, you know, I'll thank everyone for your help. And then sometimes we say, we, we, we say that and we mention it several people who by name because they stand out because of the work they have done. And he mentions three people there in, verse, in verses 2 and 3. He says, these women who labored with me in the gospel. Now we know, especially during this time period, that it was not an easy time to labor with the gospel or for the gospel, just like it is today. There are going to be times of persecution, times of difficulty, times of those who are naysayers who do not like what you're trying to do. But he mentions these individuals by name who are, who are working with them. And he also mentions there in the rest of my fellow workers. You know, Christ also, also mentions how important it is to work and to work for the Lord because laborers are not always easy to find. It's not always easy to find people who want to work for the Lord. 
We look at Matthew chapter 9, looking at verse 37. Here Christ says to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Meaning there's plenty of work to be done. But he says the laborers, or those who are able to do the work, he says they're few. They're hard to find. Now I think that's one of the reasons why Paul there in Philippians chapter 4 makes mentions of these individuals because they're laboring with them for the gospel, and that's not always common. It's not always common. We should be grateful and appreciative for those who labor for the Lord and labor with us. Not just those who labor for the Lord, but those who labor alongside with us. you ever been involved in any campaign, you're thankful for those who are praying for your good work, but aren't you must even more grateful for those who are sitting right beside you as you work that campaign, whatever it may be? You think about all the different events we have done in the past, we're talking about gospel meetings or BBS and those types of things. And we're thankful for those who pray for us and try to offer things to try to help prepare for that. But aren't we even more grateful for those who are right beside us working? Those who are right beside us teaching and preparing. Those who are right beside us as we go out to the community trying to encourage people and invite people here for the various events in which we do. We're thankful for those who are right there beside us. Because as you mentioned here in Matthew chapter 9, Christ says the harvest is plentiful, which means there's plenty of work, plenty of things that can be done. He says, but the laborers are few. We think about this, that hasn't changed that much, has it? There's always plenty of people which we can reach out to, plenty of work that can be done, but the laborers sometimes are few. Friends, shouldn't we try to be one of those who are called, as he says there in verse 37, the few? The laborers they are willing to do the work. You know, the Apostle Paul make, makes mention of them by name. But make no mistake, on the day of judgment, and the Lord sees us as fellow laborers with other brothers and sisters in Christ, will he not too be proud of us as well? Why did Paul mention them? Because he was proud of them. And he was grateful for them. So let us be steadfast in being grateful for those who are our fellow laborers. Also, as we think about things which we should be steadfast in, we should be steadfast in prayer. We should not be those who are anxious or those who are constantly worried about things, which we know today there's plenty of things people are worried about, obviously. But looking at verse 6 of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says here, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Again, just different types of prayer, supplication and thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. But he says there in verse 6, he says, First, be anxious for nothing. We shouldn't be those who have a life that we're always worried about things. Make no mistake, there are things we're going to have to take care of in this life, things we're going to have to work through, things we're going to have to learn to deal with and have to handle. But to be anxious is the idea, there, almost like the idea that you're afraid of things. We're afraid of things. Sometimes we do well to remember we should choose faith over fear, shouldn't we? We should choose to put our faith in God and a lot less fear in our lives, remembering who is in control. And also remembering that the very worst thing that can happen to a faithful Christian is they die and go to paradise. A life that is a life full of fear, friends, that's not very, a very good life, is it? If we're always worried about things that may or may not happen, that's not a very pleasant lie. He says here in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And notice also verse 7. 
He says here, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Where does this peace begin to take place? It begins when you pray to God without fear, without being anxious. The peace of God. You know, so you put verses 6 and 7 together. What does he say? Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God... We make our request made known to God. He says, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds. The peace that only comes from us putting our faith in God. We're not talking about a blind faith. I mean, we're going to pray to God that God will keep us safe and then go walk out in oncoming traffic, are we? But we are going to put our faith in God and say that God is in control and I'm not going to live the rest of my life in fear of the various things people say today we should be afraid of. At any moment, any host of things can, can befall us. Sickness of any type can happen. Of any type. We're worried about one thing most of the time anymore. But there's plenty of other things that can happen to us in life. But the point I'm making, friends, is we should not live a life of fear. We look at verses 6 and verses 7. That's what he's talking about, right? Put your faith in God. Faith over fear. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We should be steadfast in prayer. We also need to be steadfast in our thoughts. Paul and Christ remind us that temptation to sin begins in our mind. We first look at what Christ has to say back in Matthew chapter 15, looking at verses 17 through 20. We know in context, these individuals have come to Christ and they say that his disciples were unclean because they didn't wash their hands according to the tradition of the elders. If you go back and look at that in context, look what that tradition was, they had a special way of doing it. And that's what Mark also reveals. He says they, had, they washed their hands in special ways. Our special way today is what? Warm water and soap, right? For 20 seconds, as they say, all that. But that's not what he's talking about here. They had special ways of doing it. Don't just wash your hands this way. Wash your hands this way. And so they weren't keeping the tradition of the elders. We're not talking about literally that these disciples were actually physically dirty and nasty, is what the elders are trying to say. But Christ takes this and he applies it in a spiritual sense. Look at verse 17. Do you not yet understand what, 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 whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. That's what makes a person dirty, what comes out of the heart. Things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. For out of the heart receive, notice the first things he mentions. He mentions evil thoughts. Evil thoughts. And that's a very broad term there, the New King James. But evil thoughts, we know that's all those things that they can entail, right? Evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. He says, these are the things which defile a man. But to eat with unwashed hands, or in context, to eat with hands that weren't washed in their specific way, in tradition to the elders, he says, do not defile a man. What defiles a man, and when we say man, we mean mankind, not just males. We mean men and women. 
as that word man is used many times as mankind. Paul, we also find in Philippians chapter 4, Paul encourages us to meditate or to think on righteous things. And he does this by putting thoughts into categories. Looking here at verse 8. He says, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, and I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, are true, are noble, just, pure, lovely, things of good report, of any virtue, of anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is where our mind needs to spend our time. Now that's much more, it's much more easily said than done. But we strive to keep our mind on these types of things. And he uses very broad terms, but we get the idea of those things which are good and pleasant before God. Because we get there in the last part of verse 8, what does he say? If there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. We need to be steadfast with our thoughts, because as Christ points out back in Matthew 15, that's where so much evil begins. It begins in our minds. If it begins in our minds, friends, let's be those who also put it to death in our mind before it ever comes out of our mouth or is placed into action. We need to make sure we do our best to be steadfast in our thoughts. Looking in at verse 8 for just a moment. Things that are true, which is the opposite of what? False or deceit. Things that are noble, you know, noble things or upright things today, many times, we look down upon as being ignorant or foolish, right? You see someone out helping someone who's in need, and, they, and we say, a Christian might say, that's a very noble thing for them to do. Whereas a worldly person would say, boy, why are you messing with that? They got, you know, AAA, let them call them. Noble versus the opposite, right? Whatever things are just, those are things that are right before God. Whatever things are pure, we know some things are not pure, right? They even come out things in our mind. Whatever things are lovely, which to me, pure and lovely here go hand in hand. Pure and good and just. Whatever things are of good report. If we think about it in our minds, we say, well, I shouldn't be, you know, I can think about my mind, but I shouldn't talk about it out loud. That's not a thing of good report, is it? If it's in our mind and we can't talk about it out loud, it shouldn't be in our mind. Again, much easier said than done, but we, these are things we must strive to think about and consider very carefully. And then again, he summarizes, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Next, we should be steadfast in generosity. We should be steadfast in our generosity. Paul was steadfast to thank those who helped him in his labors. If you see in verse 10, he says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He's talking about those who wanted to help him on his, in his labors and his traveling. He said they wanted to do so, but he says in verse 10, they had just didn't have the opportunity to do so. But then we find in verse 14, what happens? Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. They found some way to help him. When the opportunity arose, they took it, as we're going to see here in a moment. They were what? They were very generous. We can be generous in more ways than just in our finances. We can be generous in, uh, by opening up our homes to people who are traveling, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our speakers, our guests. We can offer up meals to those who are, who are with us, those types of things. That is generosity, isn't it? You think they, they did those things for the Apostle Paul? I don't think there's any doubt they did those things. 
They were generous with him as he traveled and preached and taught and did all those things which he did and all the journeys which he took. We move forward here looking at verses 15 going through verse 19. Paul knew he was blessed to have those who, who helped meet his needs. As you find there in verse 15, he says, Now you Philippians, he mentions them by name. Why is that? Because he's going to praise them. There's nothing about Paul. He had no trouble mentioning people by name to praise them. He also had no trouble mentioning them by name to rebuke them. But in this case, it was to, we might say sometimes, to sing their praises, right? Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. Meaning in the beginning you were the only ones who helped me concerning giving and receiving, right? Which means they were actually giving him things to help him on his travels. Verse 16, for even Thessalonica you sent, and once again, you sent aid once again for my, and again for my necessities, and assuming they did so more than once. Now that I seek the gift, meaning he, he didn't go out seeking it, which as we know, the Bible tells us, he was perfectly within his means to do so. But in verse 17 he says, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account, which means he seeks to be able to do the work that comes as a result of them helping him. He says, Indeed, I have, an, I have all and abound. He says, I am full, having received from Epiratus the things from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. What does he say? What you're doing, he says, it pleases God. That's who is pleasing. Now, no doubt Paul was appreciative, but he says it's pleasing to God, and that's what's most important. Looking at verse 19. He says, and my God shall supply all your needs. He says, your need, those in Philippi, those who've been helping him. He says, all your need, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. He shall what? He shall supply all your needs. And so by them giving to Paul, he's saying you are going to be in need yourself now because what? He says, God's going to take care of you. And God, through those in Philippi and others who would help him in the future, would also take care of the Apostle Paul as well. Paul was thankful for them. And the Philippians are an example of being steadfast in generosity. They helped him multiple times. And we should follow that example. Some lessons for us today. There are many areas in which we should be steadfast. We looked at really just four things. We looked at being grateful. We looked at prayer. We looked at being steadfast in our thoughts. And we looked at being steadfast in our generosity. But we could add a lot more to that, couldn't we? We could talk we get a little more broad or a little more even a little more pointed. We could say we, we should be steadfast in our in our words, in our genero- in our kindness, in our politeness, in our conversation to others. We be more steadfast in how we how we think about others, how we are mindful of other people's needs. We can be steadfast in a lot of different areas. But the Apostle Paul mentions a few things for us today. We must realize we need to be unwavering or steadfast in doing good. And here in Philippians 4, the Apostle gives us several areas to consider. The things Paul mentions are areas in which we today can still be steadfast. They're not things that only apply during the time of the Apostle. They still apply to us today. Can we today still be grateful for our fellow workers? Yes. Can we today still be steadfast in prayer? Yes. Can we still be steadfast in our thoughts? Yes. Can we still be steadfast in our generosity? Yes. All those things still apply to us still today. 
There are, however, some areas in which we should not be steadfast, but we should, uh, instead we should avoid. When we look at one thing, we also have to re- re- be reminded of the opposite. We want to be steadfast. We want to be steadfast in the right areas. We should avoid. We should not take our fellow laborers for granted. If you flip flop everything the Apostle Paul talks about, we see things we should avoid. We should not take our fellow laborers for granted. We also should not allow ourselves to be overcome with worry or fear, as the Apostle Paul talks about back in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. We also should not allow our thoughts to become polluted by sin. You ever taken a clear glass of water, you take some food coloring or something, and you just drop one drop in there and you see how fast it changes that water? That's what sin does to our mind, doesn't it? just takes a little bit, and our mind, our whole thought process can begin to change. But through repentance, we can clear up that mind once again. But we shouldn't strive our best to not allow our thoughts to become polluted by sin. And we should, be, uh, we should not be ungrateful for those who support... Uh, it says ungrateful. We should, we should be grateful for those who support the spreading of the gospel. We want to avoid being ungrateful, right? We want to avoid being those who, who, who are just expecting things out of others. Sometimes we, we, we talk with people and sometimes we act, they act like, well, that's just expected of you, right? That's what you're supposed to do in the first place. That's the wrong attitude, isn't it? We are to be grateful for those who support those, those individuals who are doing what is right and what is good and what is pleasing in the sight of God. When you consider the things the Apostle mentioned here, are you steadfast in these things? Are we steadfast in our prayers and in our thoughts and in our gratefulness for others and in our generosity? Are we unwavering in that? Let us be those who are unwavering in righteousness and support others who follow truth. Support others who try to do all they can to promote the truth of the gospel. We think about areas in which we can be steadfast in, areas in which we can improve in. There's always ways in which we can improve and become better followers of Christ. This morning, as you think about these things, we know that if you have any need or any concern, we'll be glad to assist you. We know the Bible tells us what we need to do in order to have heaven as our home. The Bible tells us we must hear the word of God. As we find there in Romans, we find we also we must believe that Christ is the Son of God. As we find also there in Luke, when Christ tells us, unless you believe that I am Him, you will die in your sins. We also know that we must confess our sins to God, as we find there in Romans. We must repent of our sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. And we must be baptized for the remission of our sins, Acts 2 and verse 37 and 38. We also know that in Galatians 3, 26 and 27, the Bible tells us, as many who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which means we become a Christian and we are added to the body of Christ and we are baptized. That's what Paul told those in Galatia. And so when we think about those things, we think about our own lives, we need to address either our own spiritual condition or we need to address our own steadfastness. 